Welcome to the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I'm Jeff Cranson. Once again, I'm pleased to have today Robert Davis, who was a veteran MDOT kind of community engagement specialist, did a lot of outreach, especially on some of the big projects. And before that, he worked in the administration of Governor Jennifer Granholm as a senior advisor, working on myriad issues, um, offering his his perspective on a lot of a lot of big things and is uh, kind of a special guest on this Black History Month episode. I thought it would be good to just touch on him and talk a little bit about, you know, the history, the the present and the future. So, Robert, thank you for taking time to do this. Thank you, Jeff, for having me. So let's let's talk first about before you even got into transportation, what your work was, you know, with the, the Grand Home Administration and and what your your background was and the experience that you brought to bear there. Yeah, even go back further than that, Jeff. I started out, uh, I was working on a master's degree in public administration at the University of Detroit, uh, Mercy. And um, Woodrow Wilson, the founder of public administration, uh, president at the time, talked about the importance of public service. And in college, I actually caught, you know, I caught the, the, you know, the wave of, of something that I would want to do is serve the public as opposed to going to the private sector. So I started out at SIMCOG, Southeast Michigan Council of Government. I worked there for about 11 years. And then I moved over into the mayor's office of the city of Detroit, uh, Mayor, mayor Dennis Archer. I worked in his administration for four years uh, as a public servant there. And then I went on to the uh, McNamara administration at Wayne County, so Wayne County government before I joined Jennifer Grant. There, there I met Jennifer Granholm in the McNamara um, administration working for Wayne County. And then when she uh, became governor, she invited me to uh, serve on her cabinet uh, as a cabinet official, uh, as well as the director of the uh, governor's office for Southeast Michigan. Um, and that's where things really got interesting because, you know, she gave a sort of free reign for Southeast Michigan, which included seven counties in Southeast Michigan, Wayne, Oakland, Macomb, Livingston, Washington, uh, and uh, St. Clair counties. I mean, it was just really uh, an opportunity of a lifetime, particularly as a, as a, as a black man from Detroit, uh, you know, born and raised here in the city of Detroit. I mean, I always counted it as a privilege to serve uh, my community and to give back and to do and no better place in public service to do that than you know with the state of michigan so it was it, it mean it was really an honor and a privilege of mine to serve in that capacity yeah absolutely so talk about um you know some of the most challenging things or perhaps the most challenging thing that you worked on during that period oh uh, there are a lot of <laughs> Uh, everything I, I tend, you know, I, I, I was very fortunate to have huge portions on my plate in most things that I got involved in. I, and the simplest thing for me, and, I, and I'll use this as an example, Jeff. When I was in the, the mayor's office of the city of Detroit, I worked, I reported to the deputy mayor, Freeman Hendricks at the time, and uh, I was an executive assistant to the mayor. And I got this phone call, this frantic phone call from this woman who was 78 years old, and she was trapped in her house because uh, no one had shoveled snow. She lived on a block with only three houses. 
and she called the the mayor's office and she said, I don't know who else to call because I've called five departments and I'm getting to run around and I have a doctor's appointment. And so I started walking out the office and the mayor looked at me and he said, where are you going? And I'm in a three-piece suit. I mean, at that time I had a three-piece nice brown suit on uh, and I had a shovel in my car and I said, I'm going to shovel this lady out of her driveway. And he looked <laughs> at me like, what? <laughs> well, I said, you know, I said, I'm not going to send her to another department. She called the mayor's office. The, the switchboard knew if they got that call to me, I wasn't go I'm going to do something. I mean, they just knew Robert was going to, you know, jump into action. Uh, the mayor didn't think I was going to go out there and shovel her snow, but I literally showed up on her porch, shoveled her snow. And I think that was probably the greatest example for me of a public servant because she really was in need. Her husband had just died. She couldn't get out. She was frantic. She was afraid. And so I think that was, you know, probably the most meaningful of all of my, and I've done so many things. I mean, I, I've been fortunate to work on the Lodge Freeway with um, Mayor Brenda Lawrence when, when she was mayor of Southfield, connecting that to the city of Detroit with uh, Mayor Kilpatrick. And so that was uh, like an $80 million project, but it really got communities engaged and involved. And that's sort of the thing that I've always been, you know, that was my forte is to keep uh, elected officials and uh, having worked at SimCod because it was an organization of elected officials, having elected officials engage with publics was really my forte. And so, you know, I started off, that was the first big project at MDOT was the Lodge Freeway. That was a complete uh, rebuild of the Lodge, right? It was complete, complete rebuild, $80 million complete re rebuild. And the, the and so Brenda Peak at the time was our, and Rob Morosi was our two communication liaison. And they, it was an interesting dichotomy between the two of them because uh, uh, Rob was very sensitive to the messaging that we wouldn't close. It was the, the, the theme that the time was Dodge the Lodge uh, was one of his, catchy themes and and the city of Detroit didn't like that because they felt that the that the city that the um, you know that that meant Detroit was closed and so MDOT had to scramble the four three of us got in the room one day in a huddle and decided we need to come up with something else to open that up and 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 we ended up working with Mayor Brenda Lawrence on the other end of the freeway and had a we had our first let's let the citizens of uh, the residents around the freeway walk on the freeway. So we opened up the freeway just before we finished completing it to open it up to the motoring public. We opened it up to pedestrians to walk, and we had about four to 500 people walk on that freeway. That was the first freeway walk we did. And as you know, there was a bigger one out in, on 96 <laughs> that I actually helped coordinate with uh, Greddy out there that had thousands of people. The, the governor shows up at that one, and we we thought, you know, Kurt Seidel said, eh, make it bigger than what you did on the Lodge Freeway. And we had, you know, 500 people on the Lodge. He said, okay, we'll do that. And I think 10,000 people showed up <laughs> to walk that freeway out there. So uh, that just shows, you know, from 500 to 10,000. I mean, we had a lot of, <laughs> a lot of exciting years out of that. Yeah, that's uh, become kind of a thing now with bridges and certain stretches of road and I'm amazed at the people that'll get out there and put on their rollerblades or just walk but they really enjoy uh, that kind of celebrating the reopening and it's a it's a good thing for the community for sure so yeah in your in your transition you know leaving the governor's office and then and then working 
at MDOT, you've had to deal, you know, with a lot of things. You were working in terms of mega projects on I-94 through the city. Um, you know, we've learned a lot from the past and from the, the sins of the past. 375 is the most glaring example, but there are other examples around the state and certainly around the country. Um, and you've paid close close attention, obviously, the last several years to what's going on with 375. Um, so what do you think? How do you talk about that with people without sounding like you're, you know, dismissing or being, you know, hypercritical of the engineers and developers from 60, 70 years ago um, who, you know, were thinking in urban renewal was damn the torpedoes and it didn't really matter who was being displaced and what it was doing to neighborhoods. And, you know, talk about that, that evolution and thinking and, and whether you think, you know, we've come far enough or still have a ways to go. I, that's a that's an excellent example of the history of Detroit and and how steep you know the emotion and the feelings are when you talk about Black Bottom, uh, and Black Bottom was not named for Black people. It really was significant piece of real estate that had very very rich soil, Black soil that was very fertile, and it, it was a farming uh, port patch uh, in the city of Detroit prior to uh, to African Americans or, or Black. Uh, people moving and settling into that particular area. But as you know, in 19, in the 50s, it was disrupted. Uh, it was a very vibrant African-American community. It was disrupted by the freeway. And many, many people did take that uh, message um, and, and went in all sorts of directions with it. Uh, but I think what I see and I, you know, I experience is working with you know, the engineers today was the sensitivity of listening very carefully to the resident and making sure that as you're doing this, you know, very technical planning study uh, on I-375 to see whether we should rebuild it or, you know, keep it, bring it up to surface or not. Uh, a lot of technical work goes into that with the engineers, but a lot of community sensitivity was baked into the process. And so the hiring of the, the, the consulting firm, for example, that worked with MDOT, uh, part of the instruction given to them is you we've got to really get this right by listening to the concerns of those that live in and around that community and i think mdot did a stellar job at, at doing that it's still a very difficult project uh right you know you got people on both sides of the aisle that um have some strong feelings because i was you know i wasn't around in the 50s but i remember my father taking me on his shoulder in a protest in the 60s part of my early experiences just walking and showing up and making my voice known back then even as a as a you know five-year-old uh, on my father's shoulders and so i do recall uh you know some of those tough more you know sensitive periods in our history so what what do you remember specifically what that was or were you too young to know what the exact protest issue was the the protest no no I I was very young I mean I I'm, I'm saying but my father was it, it his there were several big businesses um, cleaners for example we had there was a uh, and, and a lot of entertainment venues that were displaced uh, and just just started going away in the 60s right after 67 riots in fact the I lived on Linwood and LaSalle. Uh, we went to church on Rosa Parks Boulevard, which before that it was called 12th Street. And I remember my father getting a phone call from the pastor of the church saying, don't come to church today because the street is on fire. 
And so 12th Street was on fire and I lived on right at Limwood and LaSalle. And I remember tanks coming down uh, my alley and we had to hide, you know, on the floor because they were, you know, they were shooting on the street next to me. Uh, and Linwood was on fire and it was just completely gutted and destroyed. Rosa Parks, 12th Street was completely gutted and, and destroyed. So, yeah, I do remember that. I mean, I remember vividly that day. Uh, but the, the politics of the day, I, w I was really too young. Um, but it, it was, you know, it, it was a very turbulent time. But the thing, Jeff, that probably solidified my thinking to go into public service was right after 1967 when we watched Linwood burn and we watched 12th Street burn. The next day, I remember every one of the, the residents on my street coming to the curbside and looking to the left at the devastation, looking to the right at the devastation. And then they looked at each other and said, what the heck can we do to, you know, to do better? And I, I remember it was black, white. I mean, we had the families black, white on our street. Uh, and we all look to each other to figure out, you know, what can we do together to, you know, make amends and get through this thing. And, and that was such a poignant, you know, conversation that as a, you know, as a young kid, I'm sitting there listening to, you know, people trying to decide what to do, you know, what to do. And so it, it was just it was just an interesting period in, in our history. We will continue the conversation right after a quick break. The Michigan Department of Transportation reminds you that when a vehicle collides with another vehicle, person, or other object, it is a crash, not an accident. By reducing human error, we can prevent crashes and rebuild Michigan roads safely. You know, when you think of, about the NEPA process and, and what that did and how that informs DOTs now and everything they do when they start um, you know, planning a project and thinking about the the impact, the environmental impact and the impact on communities and residents and how it's going to affect their lives. You know, that's that's all been good. But well beyond that comes that kind of outreach that you're talking about that need to go in and and talk to everybody and hear all their concerns and try to maybe even think of things that they haven't thought of that, you know, because you're worried about their well-being and how they're they're going to be affected. As a representative of government going into some of these meetings in some of these neighborhoods, you had to build trust and you had to be viewed sometimes as as perhaps, you know, someone who'd sold out to the other side. And how did you deal with those kinds of those kinds of conversations and, and difficult moments? Just what you know, you you did something early in this conversation. It was the acknowledgement, the acknowledgement of a person's feelings. Uh, Maya Angelou said, you know, I may not remember what you say to me, I may not remember how you say it, but I certainly will remember how I felt or how you made me feel. And so part of the thing that I did, and, and each one of the region engineers made sure, Robert, you've got to be involved in all these mega projects, because I always wanted to get to the heart of the community. I, I, and I, and that, was, that became sort of a mantra that we, you know, that, that all of us in, in Metro region started to think about was what is the heart of the community saying? I mean, so, you know, and I can talk about example after example, if you think about the gateway project at I-75, which was a $180 million project, the heart of that community was, Jeff, that 
again, the freeway split the community in the 50s. And part of the Gateway Project, while it was to build the apron for the, for the, uh, for the Ambassador Bridge, what I saw the significance was we put a pedestrian bridge out there that reconnected that neighborhood that allowed people who were living on the housing side to walk over to the commercial side to get donuts. That simple. But as, as simple as it was, and it was a $9 million investment for that bridge, it was so significant because what we heard out in that community was that freeway didn't cause me to not be able to walk to get a donut. I mean, it was that simple. It was yeah, simply that, that simple. That cable stay bridge in, in Mexican town has to be one of the most beautiful pedestrian bridges, you know, in in the state, if if not beyond. It's really yeah, absolutely, and and then it's something that MDOT did symbolically to say we're reconnecting neighborhoods. It, it you're right. I mean, if you think about all the the technical, you know, the, uh, the wizardry that went into building, you know, all of that infrastructure down there. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an engineering genius that did that. But the significant story of that investment from the community's point of view is we are, we are, we can now walk from one yeah. side of our business commercial side to our residential side, and that is so important. And so, you know, you ask the question, it's really the heartbeat of the community is, is the part that, you know, that I listened for and others in our organization listened for, and it was an important component. And that's why I think the region engineers, and I worked for Greg Johnson and Tony Craterfield and Paul Ajaba and Kim, uh, Avery West. I mean, it, you know, I had a chance to all of them shared in that vision of let's, you know, let's do our best when we go out there to, you know, to provide a, a, a transportation service, but let's also listen to the community and understand what the need of the community is before we, before we proceed. Yeah, you can't overstate that. I mean, $230 million gateway project to provide a freeway to freeway connection and, and help get truck traffic off of surface streets that that's important and obviously that's that's a that's a huge amount of money but the money spent on that pedestrian bridge from a symbolic standpoint you're right it really it, it signifies a commitment to the neighborhood and uh and is still you know it's still a beautiful thing all these years later yep but yep. speaking of that yep. neighborhood and not far from where you grew up obviously you spent your last few years engaged uh with the community in the Gordy Howe International Bridge and helping uh, answer questions and uh, help people understand what's going on with that project and how it's going to affect them and you know working with Canada and the various community benefits. Um, what did what did you learn as part of that process? Well, I, yeah, I was right there from. In fact, I was there before the Gordy predates the Gordy Howe. Is there was a guy named Andy Ziegler. Who worked for MDOT, very meticulous. Uh, he was a planner. He wasn't an engineer, but he worked in the metro region. And he and I used to meet with uh, the Maroon family for a year prior to even, I mean, just discussions about some of the important things that the community wanted to see and have uh, prior to even the planning part started. And so, my, you know, that was back in 1907, uh, 08. And so that was long before. You know the 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 uh, the actual uh, documents were signed, and you know all those important papers were were executed. We were meeting out in the community long before that because we knew that you know the second span was important, 
and, and duplication, as you as we found out just recently, is essential uh, to moving the commerce back and forth across um, across international waters. And so, the Gordy Howe, I, I actually spent time uh, early on at the the beginning with Schedule 36. I was on the Community Benefits um, Committee that drafted uh, Schedule 36. I would go over to Canada uh, for the first two years of that process uh, meeting with and 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 that the, the bridge company i mean the um detroit windsor bridge authority did an awesome job at making sure again they got it right we have to make sure that the community's voice the community's concerns the community's stake in this process is baked into um you know the the infrastructure of the planning so tight that you know if none of us are around um you know four or five years from now um the wishes of the community are you know the mandates and all the concerns of the community are are documented somewhere uh and in schedule 36 they are um in such a way that you know the community's um concerns are met and i when, when i left uh jeff in 2021 uh, in june i was so confident that the community's concerns were all uh, contained and codified in that document that it made it very easy uh, for me to to you know leave um, on a high note because uh, Muhammad, for example, <laughs> has been there from the very beginning. Uh, his heart, his mind, his soul, and all the people that work with him um, are just the commitment to that community is ingrained in everything that he's doing over there and so i felt good walking away knowing that that community uh you know concerns were were going to be met and i believe that you know i look forward to the day when gordy howe is open see you know a, a bridge i mean a second span connecting international waters uh so i'm excited about that yeah you you and muhammad are are very much alike and, and aligned in that sense than that you both uh, are all about building those relationships and building that trust. And that's, yeah, because of the work of <clears throat> Muhammad El-Garabi, who's been on the podcast too, to talk about the the project. Uh, we we have trust and openness and, and a sense of transparency in the community. So what would you say, Robert, to somebody young starting out in the profession, whether they're in planning or whether they're an engineer and hope to be a project manager at some point. What what advice would you give them about about dealing with these communities and and neighbors that are going to be affected by a, a road or bridge or another transportation project of some sort? I think you know it's a basic thing. That we've got two ears and one mouth. That means we're two to one. We should listen more than we talk. Uh, there are times where you know as a young ambitious. You know, you know, I'm just starting out. I remember I just always thought I had so much to say uh, and I always feel like I do, but I learned so much by just stopping and listening enough to um, to the constituents and I and, and the constituent engagement uh, inclusion, you know, if you, you really have a, a, you know, make that as, as, as a centerpiece of what you do as a professional as a young professional. Along with, again, my ethic was public service is a privilege. It is, it's an honor to serve. Uh, and serving is not just there to get a paycheck. It's, it's there to enhance lives. Well, that's well said, Robert. I really appreciate uh, 
everything that you did for the department and, and the state um, and taking time to, to share this background and your story is, is very helpful and uh, look forward to talking with you more. Thank you so much, Jeff. I enjoy it. I really appreciate the opportunity to just uh, talk a little bit with you on this uh, Black History Month. Thanks again for inviting me. Thank you again for listening to this week's edition of the Talking Michigan Transportation Podcast. I would like to thank Randy Doubler and Corey Petey for engineering this week's podcast. To subscribe to show notes and more, go to Apple Podcasts and search for Talking Michigan Transportation.